Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week we are officially in the NFL dead zone, but we thought we'd take a look at an interesting question posed by someone that is a friend of the pod. What makes a good head coach? So with me, we have a special guest that is the author of the latest head coach rankings on Pro Football Focus. That is Eric Eager. He's a data scientist host of the PFF Forecast with another friend of the pod, George Shahuri, and he's going to jump on to talk about what makes a good head coach, and we're going to jump in right now. Well, Eric, it's good to have you on. We just jump right in. This is going to be Perfect. fun. Let's talk about the, the NFL head coaching rankings that you put out. This is what I remember at one point I talked to George about it, and wasn't it considered to be called like the Walsh system for a bit? You guys are trying to like acronymize it, or is this something completely different? You know, it's so it's so pertinent that you ask. So I'm currently working on the Walsh model. That's actually our win probability model that we sell to the teams in Sunday Night Football. We named it after, obviously, Bill uh, for how good of a coach he was for the Niners. But um, I know I haven't named this one yet. Um, we named our uh, draft trade uh, algorithm PFF Jimmy after Jimmy Johnson. And we named uh, Walsh, you know, the win probability after Walsh. I don't know what I'm going to name this yet. Probably not the Shanahan, even though he has uh, many a times during his career uh, finished atop this. Yeah, it, it's funny. When you said, you know, the, the draft capital one is Jimmy, I was like, man, you guys are really hitting Jimmy Garoppolo pretty hard at this point. Just throwing him under the bus for the Trey Lance trade. It just this is this is some slander. But no, it's Jimmy Johnson. That makes my, quite a bit more sense. But so you, you wrote this article about ranking NFL head coaches and you, you put a bunch of stuff in, into your model that kind of spit out these players. And so I had a couple of questions really about how you went about the process for defining what inputs you would even consider to define a head coach. Because that, that part is, I think, the, more, the one that's most interesting to me is how do you operationalize the characteristics and qualities that make a good head coach such that you would put them into a model and then try to see what gets out? Yeah, it's really hard, right? Because there are a lot of things that are unseen as far as like culture building. There are a lot of things that we only indirectly measure, but then, then there are some things that we directly measure. So one of the things that I put in there was what it was a coach's penchant for going for fourth downs when the mo when a model would tell them that it was appropriate to do so. So that was one thing that I put in there. Probably, um, you know, year to year is probably what causes the variability because you know, it does change a lot. Andy Reid used to be a pumpkin on fourth down. Now he's fairly good. Um, uh, Bill Belichick for the last 10 years has been really bad at it. Um, but of course, we remember that time when he on Sunday Night Football went for it uh, against the Indianapolis Colts uh, to much fanfare uh, for people like me and to much de uh, degradation for other folks. Um, and then there's the how often do you win games by multiple scores versus how often do you essentially not lose close games, I guess, because close games are pretty random, uh, as folks know. Um, but winning games by multiple scores is pretty stable. And, and so what is your record, let's say, if you make, you know, two score or more games worth one win and one score or fewer games worth half a win um, or a tie, basically. Um, so that was another one that we put in there. Um, how often do you go over your season win total? So how often does your team uh, you know, go over expectations. And then uh, if you are a play caller, not all head coaches are, but how well you rate in our play caller rankings, those were kind of the composites I put together. Um, the head coaching one was certainly a little bit more or less algorithmic, let's say, than the play caller rankings, which is very much a, here's the play-by-play -play data. Here's how a team with your graded players would perform against the other team's graded players uh, and how often play for play do you perform better than that? Um, the head coaching one offered a little bit of an opportunity for some um, sort of like differential weighting of those numbers, depending upon, you know, let's say a guy like Stefanski has one year, a guy like Belichick has 20 something years. So it sounds like you've got some things that provide a baseline, some wisdom of the crowds in there. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about Vegas win totals when you're looking at whether or not they beat their win totals. Um, or do you guys have your own model for win totals that you're spitting in there? No, we we do the Vegas one. So like, Andy Reid, for example, in my model is like the best head coach in the NFL. Andy Reid is 8-0 with the Kansas City Chiefs in terms of going over his season win total. So like every single year, the market places expectations on that team. And every single year, they, they do better than those expectations. Um, and, and to me, that's a sign, obviously. Uh, not They do have a ton of talent, obviously. 
and those numbers have changed, especially in the Patrick Mahomes era. But they continue to seem to exceed those, um, even even though they're a high bar. But then it sounds like in addition to that, you've got maximizing points, which are the fourth down decisions, like ultimately points win the game and then getting more out of the team than um, maybe the team would get if they were coached by someone who was, you know, a worse coach. Uh, and it sounds like the, the measure using there is war. So there, there's a couple different things you've got going. And ultimately, you it's interesting because you mentioned the, the play caller bit. And I'm curious if there are different clusters of coaches or different types of coaches that you found, or was it just a straight up ranking of the the people that it spit out? Because you've got Andy Reid one, John Harbaugh two, Matt Lafleur three. We'll talk about him in a minute. But did you cluster them at all, or was it just a straight up ranking? Kind of just a straight up ranking. I made a cutoff at a certain point that I felt was natural um, to write the article. I generally because we all 32 teams are clients with us. Like I'll generally not write an article. Here are the worst coaches in football, just because I don't think that that's appropriate necessarily. Um, but I, I wanted to say, Oh, here are some guys to highlight for how well they had done uh, and how positive I am moving, moving forward on the season. But no, I mean, I would say when I think of head coaches, I do think of like Harbaugh and, and Reed ahead of everybody right now, including Belichick. Um, and then I think after that, it's kind of jumbled, like you can rotate those names around and it's probably, you know, there's nothing really offensive about them. Um, but uh, Lafleur being one where, you know, I think Lafleur, I kind of compared him, this, this would be great for this podcast, I kind of compared him to George Seifert, like Seifert took over a team with a lot of good endowments. Um, and I think Seifert went like, what, 28 and four his first two years, Uh you know, LaFleur, I think, has the second best record to that. But then now you're thinking about, okay, two years. Uh, he, had, You know, Seifert had two years of Joe, Monta Joe Montana. Uh, LaFleur is going to have two years of Rodgers, possibly, uh, with a trade after that, potentially. Like, how does he do after? Seifert had a little bit of a dip, but for the most part was still coaching really good 49ers teams and eventually won his own Super Bowl. Like, does LaFleur do that? That's really the question. But I, I do, like, my issue with, with Lafleur and a lot of people like will say, you know, he hasn't earned it yet. I I kind of look at Seifert when I look at Lafleur and say, like, did did he deserve the skepticism? And the answer was absolutely not. Uh, he did a great job as a coach, and I think Lafleur has the opportunity to kind of do that. It's interesting you mentioned Seifert for a couple reasons. I mean, one, his his time in San Francisco was was really amazing. I mean, he won a Super Bowl his first year. He I, he only missed the playoffs one year, I think, uh, in in ninety one. And then it was basically, you know, in the playoffs, losing in conference championships and divisional games and stuff like that. And until he gives away to Mariucci. But when he went to Carolina, I mean, he had Carolina's one in 15 season yeah. and he never really got uh, traction on uh, in, in Carolina. I think a lot of Seifert's detractors would say, you know, well, when you once you took him out of San Francisco, he wasn't really able to do much of anything else. So maybe it was San Francisco that was propping him up. I still think Seifert's an underrated coach, and I, I do think he deserves that Super Bowl with Steve Young squarely on his back, in part because he was able to hire a really, really good offensive coordinator in Mike Shanahan, and he had a phenomenal defensive coordinator too. Uh, and, and so I think that I'm curious if you're able to operationalize that at all when you're looking at this model, because I think about John Harbaugh as a head coach, and Harbaugh as a head coach is the executive head coach. He's more like almost like a, a college head coach in, in that he really oversees a lot of things, but maybe isn't necessarily an offensive guru or a defensive guru. Whereas Harbaugh is a special teams coach and, and he really has a, 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 an ability to find good people and let them do their thing. And, and I wonder if there's some value there in being a good head coach that you may be able to capture in some kind of, you know, oper operational way. Well, yeah, that's a great point. And the interesting thing about Harbaugh is his tree hasn't exactly been the most uh, like, he he hasn't gotten a lot of coaches to the head coaching you know uh, ring like you know like Shanahan like McVeigh have been able to do with their guys at such a young age. Seifert too, when you talk about Ray Rhodes, Mike Holmgren, eventually Mike Shanahan, uh, and obviously Mariucci after that. Um, but you had like but but with with uh, Harbaugh like none of his guys have really been all that successful. To me, it's it's almost like. He's kind of Belichickian in that sense, in that in that he's a very good head coach. He runs a great system. He's got guys to buy into their role there, um, but not necessarily like a factory for head coaches the way that Andy Reid is, which is interesting. But no, I mean, 
the thing about Harbaugh that's amazing is you win the Super Bowl with Flacco. Um, you tailor, you change it, you know, 100% to the, the changing times in the NFL to become, you know, one of the best coaches at massaging the fourth down sort of situation. Um, and, and obviously you change your entire offense. You know, you, you facilitate, you, you buy into the Lamar Jackson thing, which was not ever going to be easy. Um, and completely switch your offense and really don't skip a beat from a – in fact, they've been more productive. I think the last few years of Flacco, they only had the one playoff appearance. Um, and to me, I think that shows some pliability that is that is really remarkable. Whereas when you look at Bel- Belichick, for example, obviously I think you have to consider him the best head coach in football history, but, but he hasn't had that kind of success after – after you know they got they let go of Brady like if he's got to sort of have that kind of like Harbaugh success with with Newton and Mac Jones that Harbaugh has had with Lamar Jackson for me to consider him back into that top like two or three guys and that's one of those things that is is hard to capture directly but I guess you maybe catch indirectly with some of the the war stuff that you've got built in is is how not just how flexible the coach is but really how they're able to fit their scheme to their talent I do think Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, is one of the best coaches in the NFL right now. And and I think it's exactly that pivot. Going from Joe Flacco and looking at Lamar Jackson and not just saying, no, can't draft that guy. Don't know what I'm going to do with him, right? And instead, he changed his entire offense and he had the vision to do that. I think that's phenomenal. I mean, Bill Walsh did the very, that's why we have the West Coast offense, right? He had a down the field throwing offense and all of a sudden, dude gets injured and he's like, cool. So this Virgil Carter guy. What are we going to yeah, do with him? Yeah. You know, and and he yep. was able to build a system around that, and and that's what really really good head coaches do. I think Belichick will probably be okay. I mean, he's he's changed his offense even with Brady from run heavy to two tight end to spread, um, you know, and so I think he he'll probably be all right. But there is a degree of flexibility there that I do think is a hallmark of really really good head coaches at at a really just organizational level. Absolutely, and I think that that when you look at you know, one of the the detractions, I think, of Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, who I think, you know, I, I think could very well, you know, most Niners fans have given me a lot of flack for not having him on this list. And I think that's very understandable. Um, he right now has not necessarily shown that, right? Like, I think he has an, a, ter- a terrific offensive scheme. I think there are so many things about that offense that, you know, really do open things up for players who are not necessarily the most skilled. Like you, you have players who, you know, the cousins of the world, the RG threes of the world, um, you know, and cousins didn't play for Shanahan, but like, like, but like those types of players, Brian Hoyer, even having like sort of his best season, uh, you know, with Shanahan, Matt Ryan, who I think a lot of us really have, you know, high opinions of, but who is ultimately not unlimited. Um, you know, he, he's done a great job there, but you, you haven't necessarily seen, you know, the, the adaptation to where things like the, the Trey Lance pick is, is extremely good litmus test for him because I think Lance represents something at the QB position that he has really only had with the perfect RG three, um, which would really only lasted about a dozen games. Right. So that, that will be a, a really good test for him and, and see if like sort of he can take that thing to the next level because it's weird. Like, I feel like, McVeigh and Shanahan are sort of in this group of people where people assume they like to have a guy who's not all that talented um, as opposed to having a guy who, you know, uh, you know, can, has talent through the roof the way, um, you know, that that this Trey Lance, uh, Trey Lance traffic does. Would you say that you fall in the camp of someone who, who believes that Shanahan is a phenomenal play caller and just a really good head coach? I would say, yeah, I mean, or even just a good head coach, like even not going so far as like a really good head coach, but that his, his ability as a play caller is his hallmark. And that is what sets him apart. Yes. And, and, and then it's the head coaching stuff that he may need to improve and that he can improve uh, over the course of his time as a head coach. Yeah. So like, for example, he only went for 42% of admissible fourth downs last year. Now, like, I think, this is where, again, building something straight off a of metric, looking at predictability, you're looking at the most unique scheme in the NFL. We do a, a, mo- a metric that has unique schemes. Shanahan, most unique. McVay, second most unique. So there's some uniqueness there 
that's to me that points to him being a very good play caller um but then there's the run pass ratio last season only the new england patriots in the first 15 plays of games i was only looking at this i don't know why i didn't subset to the whole game but it was a, a report i had built the niners ran the football more than 50 percent of the time on early play early game downs and Unfortunately, they had one of the worst expected points added on run plays on those early game downs. Like, I'm of the belief that Shanahan, if you if the model were to say compare run plays against run plays and pass plays against pass plays, like Shanahan, when he decides to throw the football with his team, is way is much better than average, much better than expectation, as evidenced by Nick Mullins' career yards per attempt, right? Um and when he decides to run, usually he's better at eking out value in the run game. But the problem is, is in the NFL, there's such an edge in not running the ball that much that when Shanahan, I think, falls in love with that aspect of the game, it sort of puts them behind the eight ball. And and this is where, again, I have to sort of contextualize these numbers and say, okay, but how much of 2018 and 2020 were – our quarterback's injured. We don't exactly. have a great team. No, that's I'm exactly not going it. to show the good stuff. And as a result, our EPA above what you would expect, even with all the injuries, is not quite as high as it might be if I'm like giving an A effort. Like that's that's what I'm really worried about when I leave Shanahan off a list like this. I think that there's there's a lot to be said there. I do think that Shanahan is acutely aware of the the tools that he's got, the ingredients that he's got to make a dish. And and he's not going to try and give you this super pure Michelin star dish when he's over here working with like Chuck, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I do think that you, if you look at the... I, I've had this theory for a while. I've actually talked about it with George where I, I do think his aggressiveness goes up when he's got better a better offense and better pieces that he can play with. I think that Shanahan at his core is relatively risk averse. That doesn't mean that he's not aggressive. That doesn't mean he doesn't want to win or score a lot of points or you know, you know, design really great plays. But I think he has a tendency to be a bit, a bit risk averse. He's not going to go for it unless he thinks it's kind of a sure thing. And, and I think that this is one of the reasons why the Trey Lance thing, as you say, is a litmus test. It gives him another tool to pick up third down, fourth down. Now you've got the QB run game. You've got QB power. You've got zone reads, especially in the red zone. I mean, even when he was with Atlanta, he was running a toss read shovel, which is basically a quarterback power play where the quarterback tosses the football instead of run the in the inside power. So you're, you're getting a quarterback option play on the inside, but you're having a fullback or a tight end run it. He's running with the Niners too. He wants to do this quarterback run game and now he's finally got the quarterback to do it. And I think you might see more of an uptick in his aggressiveness on fourth downs because he, see, he sees it more as a sure thing. Yeah, and that, and that's great. And I think I think that's where, again, when 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 I leave somebody off this list like this, like it, it, it that's where I get a little nervous because I'm wondering, okay, are we all because like here's the thing in 2019, I think people forget like week. God, what was that? Week two of 2019, the Niners were a pick 'em with the Bengals in week two. And like, how out to lunch was everybody on the Niners that year? A 13 and three team Super Bowl team. Bengals were going to be the number one pick in all of football. And they're basically, you know, not, they, the market has the Niners like two points better, three points better. And it's like, that's what I'm worried about as somebody who's building these metrics for fantasy, for gambling. And I'm like, you know, historically, fading the 49ers has been fine because there's always something, right? There's, but, but the in 2019, that wasn't the right formula, right? Like everything clicked for them. And I wonder if Shanahan's not a guy where if everything clicks, it, it's such a force multiplier. How scary that 16 offense was with Atlanta, how scary the 2019 team was, especially prior to the injuries and then also in the playoffs after they got everybody back. Um, you know, that that's what I worry about when I think about the Niners, because it is a blunder if if that's the kind of player that that's the kind of coach he is where everything comes together and it becomes a humongous boon. Now, here, here like the, the where I come back to be, be, being like, OK, I'm not quite as upset that I took left him off this list is 
there are like kinks in the armor here though, right? Because we were all, and I don't know how you felt, but I know George, one of my best friends and a Niners fan, was so relieved that Mac Jones wasn't the pick that he overlooked the fact that I think Shanahan might have taken the wrong player in Lance over Fields. Um, Shanahan in the past has spent big money on Jarek McKinnon, big money on Tevin Coleman, traded up for Trey Sermon. Meanwhile, that offense has been able to get really good play out of Raheem Mostert and, and Matt Burita for most of the time he's been there. Like that's where I think about, like I have, I'm less offended by leaving Shanahan off the head coach list because of some of the grocery buying and way more uh, offended possibly leaving off the play caller list because I do think he does cook a good meal. Like, what do you, like, what do you think about the Lance pick over fields? Does that make you a little bit nervous as far as like, where's this guy's judgment? It, it doesn't just because I don't know that a lot of people have the whole quarterback picking thing figured out. And, and at least I can see the process with Lance with Lance. Cause I, I would have preferred fields too. I mean, we did a big old, you know, preseason scouting thing and we watched a bunch of tape on all of them. And, and we came out of the process, but David and I thinking that fields was the best prospect available for the 49ers and may be, you know, depending on what you want, the second best quarterback in class. Um, I, I think we both still liked Wilson though, above, above fields just because of his fit in the offense. But I see the path to Lance, though. It makes sense where you take that big swing. And, and I could see how maybe Shanahan, you know, the, the thing that he doesn't really like is the, a slow processor. You've got to get through your reads. You've got to understand what's happening. And, and Lance's processes very, very quickly, handles a lot of things on his plate. And if you're looking at Fields' tape, you can see how he's maybe just a tick slow. doesn't handle the blitz as well. Um, and, and so I could see how that may be uh, the tipping point for someone like Shanahan. Um, you know, and so I get it. I, I I understand the pick because it is both a potential swing, but also it gives you a vision for what you want your offense to be a dual threat quarterback with some legs, strong arm who can process quickly. That process makes sense. Whether or not he ends up picking the right quarterback, man, I don't know. Lots of people get it wrong. I mean, yep. you know, Bill Walsh ended up drafting Giovanni Carmazzi, right? Um, he also drafted Jeff Garcia or had a hand in getting Jeff Garcia. Did he draft Jim Drunkenmiller too in the he first did. round? He did draft Jim Drunkenmiller. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's it's just one of those things that's so inexact where I'm not going to say like, you know, oh, I know he's wrong. It's like Lance may be the best quarterback in the class. He may be a middling quarterback. He may not be very good. Fields may be the less. I don't know. But I at least can see the process. And that makes a ton of sense to me. So that's kind of where I landed on the whole thing. Yeah, that that's fair. I do think... It's it's interesting, right? Like the running back situation makes me a little nervous, right? The Joe Williams pick, the trade up for Trey Sermon. Although I like Sermon, I think Sermon's got all my money for Rookie of the Year um, in the betting market. Ooh, but that's like, interesting. I, I I think I got him at thirty three to one. He might not be that easy to get anymore, but but I you know obviously if that thing clicks, he's extremely talented. Plus, he doesn't have that much tread on his tires, of course, because uh, at Oklahoma he was as somebody who played college DFS, like he got inexplicably benched at times at Oklahoma and, and like somehow reappeared at Ohio state, barely played early and then snapped at the end of the season. Um, so, but like, that's a good, I mean, they have some good players out there. Like for sure you're looking at first round picks and second round picks at wide receiver Kittle at tight end. Like this, this could be a really good offense if everything clicks. Um, and of course, Jimmy G has really never failed the 49ers other than injuries, right? Like, yeah, I, I think, you know, so th I mean, that never, was one never of the failed. curious things there is really like this is this pick is because Jimmy G is not good enough at staying healthy less than it is about him not being good enough as a player. Never fail is a bit of a stretch. I would say that he uh, he wasn't consistent enough even when he did play it, with his accuracy in the middle of the field to make him uh, an unquestioned starter, I think, would, is where I would kind of put him at. But you, the, the one thing I will say, I was talking about quarterbacks with Shanahan, and I think, yes, the, run, the running backs thing is a very real thing. But on the flip side, he gets the most out of quarterbacks. And I think that may be the ultimate feather in Shanahan's cap is in a league where the quarterback reigns supreme. I mean, at this point, you have to make the MVP award based on the best quarterback. And then, you know, everything else is like all the other players in the league. You know, the the cap the cap proportion that you spend on a quarterback is high if you've got them, you know, and then it's everyone else trying to maximize that position. And Shanahan's figured out a way to do it. I mean, he made Nick Mullins a viable starter, right? He's he's gotten uh, Garoppolo into a place where, you know, hopefully, I mean, he's, he's a good quarterback. He's just not going to be that kind of elite quarterback that I think Shanahan and really 49ers fans want. 
Um, he's done this repeatedly with players and people. And, and if that, if you want a coach that's going to get the most out of the most important position on the field, it's, it's going to be someone like Shanahan. And I think that is going to be something that papers over a lot of the other stuff. Yeah, that's for sure. And the question, the biggest one is, is what does he do with a truly elite player? I mean, Ryan is the closest guy he's had to that. Um, obviously, you know, that the doorstep of a Super Bowl in 2016, Garoppolo. Yeah. I mean, I think in the Super Bowl, Garoppolo came up a little bit short, obviously, of the deep ball to Sanders. Some of the throws right into Chris Jones is like face mask a few times. Like, but in the first three quarters of that game, he was the MVP of the game. You know, like to your point, like they they were, you know, they, he did a good job of, you know, making plays and, and Shanahan certainly a part of that. You wonder, yeah, like the biggest question is, is whether Shanahan can identify an elite player and then, and then, you know, foster that as opposed to, you know, being content with settling for, you know, the, the Garoppolo's and the Mullins is in the, and those guys, the, the Hoyers of the world, like it, it does look like this, this is a move in that direction, trading all those draft picks for the right to take Lance. Um, it just now has to work out for them. Um, and, and I think that the hard part that was always like the conversation about the Mac Jones thing was you had Mac Jones, a limited skill set, but like, did Shanahan prefer a guy with a limited skill set that he could mold? I think everybody was so relieved by the fact that that wasn't the case. Um, that maybe they overlooked the fact that like, you know, again, fields, I think probably fields could have been a, a very good option there as well. Oh no, I would have loved fields. It would have been great. I think he uh, the bears got themselves uh, a hell of a steal of a draft, even irrespective of what they did later, just because of what they were able to do with fields earlier. You mentioned something that I thought was really interesting and I wanted to make a note to come back to it. You mentioned scheme uniqueness. What are the, and, and you said that Shanahan was the most unique scheme in the NFL. What are the facets that determine a unique scheme that set Shanahan's offense apart? So when you look at, um, let me look at the variables here again. Um, so one of them is motion. Like if you look at last season, Shanahan's 49ers, I mean, they were in like a statistical cluster by themselves. Like I always post these pictures of like, all the teams on a two-dimensional plane and the further you are away from the origin, the more unique you are. And, you know, the 49ers are like two standard deviations in both directions away from everybody else. We look at them, like they use 11 personnel 22% of the time. I believe only Minnesota at 11% was lower than them. Um, they use their average depth of target six and a half. Um, only Washington with, you know, old friend Alex Smith, um, and, and uh, New Orleans and L.A., L.A., you know, clamping it down on golf were shorter, I think, average up the target. Uh, there were a few others, but like very low average up the target, which, again, this is part of the reason it speaks to the fact that Shanahan wouldn't rate high in a play caller ranking because choosing to throw balls short is not necessarily efficient. But, of course, he does such a great job of making those short passes actually relatively efficient. So it's sort of a, again, a choice versus a, how well do you do above and beyond what you choose to do, which is which Shanahan does great with um, play action. You're in the, you know, 34%, which is pretty high. You run a lot of outside zones, 42%. I think that's one of the highest, second highest, third highest in football. And then 77% motion rate, which is far and away. I think Baltimore is the only other team with more than 70%. Most teams are below or in that 50% range. So there, and there's other variables too. The, those are the sort of notable ones. And then, you know, sort of, it, it's kind of an amalgamation of like all those things. Like it's never one variable, but it's sort of like, how weird are you at wearing that entire costume? Um, you know, and, and Shanahan does a, a really good job there. LA does a slightly worse job, but is still really unique. Minnesota's unique as well. Baltimore, as you can imagine, and then Arizona, and I think Arizona is unique for bad reasons, right? I mean, I think they go out of their way. Static, right? Yeah, they go out of their way to choose to be sort of like bad. Yeah, it's just where you line up DeAndre Hopkins at one spot and never move him around and take advantage of matchups. <laughs> right. You run a lot of ten personnel when the whole league is at least eleven or or, or heavier, that kind of thing. Yeah. So interesting. I just I, I made I made a point to come back to that because that that raised the that that made the ears hot. I was like, hmm, what's that? That seems interesting. Um, so you, you did do some other play callers, though. You talked about Shanahan as an individual play caller, and we've talked a little bit about that, his scheme uniqueness and, and whatnot. But you also did defensive play callers. I'm just curious where you ranked Sala on that list because 
he is someone that I think did a, a pretty remarkable job given the injuries that the Niners had last year. And they still had, by all accounts, one of the league's better defenses when he was trotting out basically table scraps at corner uh, and and Kerry <laughs> Hyder as your premier pass rusher. Uh, so where did he fall at, in the overall rankings for defensive play callers? Yeah, Salah was, I think, so So here's the, and I and I, I should have written this in the article, Salah is not calling plays for the Jets this year. So, oh, so he was in the scope they, of the article. Uh, we'll say that again. So was he in scope of the article for the defensive play? So he college? wasn't in scope of the article. Let me actually, um, cause I remember him being first, um, in a lot of, in a lot of different ones. Um, I believe he's, he's top five for sure. Let me, I'm you're, you're not supposed to code in public, but I'm sort of like doing this right now. To <laughs> You're literally that. writing lines of code and recompiling as we speak. He was number one going into last year. Because I think the Niners' defense, like one of the one of the underrated aspects, um, one of the underrated aspects of what they did in 2000, uh, and one of the underrated aspects of what they did in 2020 or 2019 was their defense was pretty injured in the second half of the season, and they still did a pretty good job it, it, independent of that. Um, so yeah, so he gets he gets pretty high marks here. I think he's first. Yeah. So I, I also forget that offense is flipped around. So. He was first in the NFL in in limiting big plays and third in limiting success rate above what you would expect with the defenses that he was given. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, I've only I've, Brandon Staley and Keith Butler were better than him in the success rate version. Keith Butler, the coach of the the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers, yeah, and Staley is of course the the new soup du jour of defensive play callers, and everyone's talking about his scheme. We're probably going to do a little bit about his scheme for for scheme month this uh, this year on on the podcast, but. I'm curious if there are things that because D'Amico Ryan's now new defensive coordinator. You, you talked about scheme uniqueness for Shanahan, the things that made it difficult for teams to to kind of prepare for. Is there an element of scheme uniqueness or things that maybe we should look out for as D'Amico Ryan's begins his career as a play caller for the 49ers on the defensive side? It's sort of weird when you plot these right now. The the defenses that used to sort of be off in the ether were all the cover three teams, right? The the Chargers with Gus Bradley, um, or you know, no, the the Jaguars with Gus Bradley, the Chargers, the you know, the the Seahawks, the Niners, and like over time, those cover three teams have like become somewhat normalized, um, and now it's the teams that are out in the ether are the Vic Fangio defenses, you know, the the Staley's and the um, you know the the Denver Broncos, the old Bears. Um, so like the Niners last year were sort of smack dab in the middle in terms of scheme unique, uniqueness on defense. Um, and, you know, sort of running a traditional cover three, I'd be interested to see what they do. You know, they have some versatility, obviously with Bosa being such a great player, Nick, uh, Fred Warner being, I think one of the six linebackers or so in the NFL that really matters. Um, and then, you know, obviously, you know, at cornerback, you know, they, ha they have some pretty underrated players in ward. And then, uh, uh, you know, I, I think Barrett, you know, th th so like they, I, I think they have a chance to be more unique. I think they have a chance to change it up. You know, it was really, I think, a, a feather in Salah's cap that, like, they didn't have to do anything too exotic to really get the value that they ended up getting out of their team uh, the last few years. Couple questions before we to ask you about some surprises and then get to, to some quick hits. This sounds like it's really a descriptive metric, right? Like, it looks back and describes a bit of what happened in the past. But is there any predictive value from the rankings? And, and could you begin to apply this to even hiring head coaches from the defensive offensive play caller ranks. It is one of the things we use in consultation with, you know, teams. Uh, like a lot of this is like you we do this at the college level. We'll give teams a list of who has done the best. Um, it does have some predictive nature to it. A lot of the parameters are tuned so that it can so like for example, like we almost never bet against the 49ers against the spread because they're worth about a, a quarter of a point more because of scheme uniqueness. Um, usually the coach, you know, that's it's why we'll never bet an under on Andy Reid teams because his offensive play caller metric just makes it, it hard to bet under. We're sort of always under on teams like the Jets, um, you know, in previous years, probably be okay on them this year, given uh, I think they're moving in the right direction, coach and quarterback wise. Um, so it does have predictive power. The scheme uniqueness stuff certainly has not been incorporated into, into like betting markets and, and things like that. And so it does have the potential to get an edge we'll almost never bet against the LA Rams or the Niners because um, they are just a tough team to sort of uh, 
you know, basically go up against because it, it sort of takes, a, you know, you have these weeks where you have to sort of scrap everything uh, and prepare for them. It's so funny. Back when we were doing uh, the pod and, and the Niners were seemingly changing a head coach every year um, for a bit, we did really, a, you know, a, a bit of a, a study on what kind of define or how you can pick a good head coach. This is, you know, we're not data scientists, right? So we don't have all the cool stuff that you've got to play with. But basically, it was all looking at, you know, the, the Pythagorean wins of head coaches, if you have an offensive background, defensive background and stuff like that. And, and it's, it's curious that most of the, the head coach, uh, head coaches on your list that are ranked are are predominantly offensive ones. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, Sean McDermott in there. And of course, Bill Belichick, we put him in his own category because he's, you know, defensive, but he's kind of everything at this point. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it's interesting, you know, hearing some of these things, seeing the trends in general and looking at some of that stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's super interesting, I think, because I'd still would prefer an offensive coach. I think that's the more stable thing. If you can figure that out, that's the thing that helps you win games over years and years, which is why I think Shanahan is a choice for head coaches much preferable to a defensive-minded head coach, all the other things being equal. But it, it, it's interesting to see that, you know, some of this stuff is now getting borne out in actual data, um, and, and it may actually be a little predictive because coach hiring is really tough and people get it wrong all the damn time. Yeah, I think, for example, if you're looking at the Jets, you look at Minnesota like this too, and I give the Vikings a lot of crap because it seems like they and their fan base only want to win nine, ten games a year. But, like, I feel like a defensive coach – with with exceptions can get you from being awful to being good and i think an offensive coach can take you from being good to being great and like obviously the biggest example is tony dungy taking tampa from being terrible to right at the precipice and then john gruden sort of taking that thing over the finish line once um i think that the 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 floor is a lot lower with offensive coaches because if the guy loses his fastball, as you guys saw with Chip in 2016, it's just like, okay, you can't win with this. Um, so, like, for the Jets, for example, like, I really think that they hit a home run here. But there might be a point where the Jets are constantly, much like where they were with Rex Ryan, like, in that 9-10 win range. But they're not sniffing the Super Bowl because the coach got them out of that basin of being terrible but weren't able to get them into that, like, group of you know the group of truly elite teams uh and, and that's what makes i think sean mcdermott so uh impressive is that it, it does appear that he's gotten buffalo out of that group um but we'll it remains to be seen obviously josh allen sort of i think carries the majority of the weight there yeah and, and i think with him you've got brian dable as the offensive play caller and it, the, the danger with the defensive coach is what happens when that play caller leaves i mean the niners saw it with mike nolan and, you know, he had Alex Smith famously has, you know, six play callers or whatever it was in six years. And and you've got Dable, who is a phenomenal play caller. I mean, he made the top, I think, six or seven on your play caller list. What happens when he leaves? This is why I think that the Harbaugh as a coach has been such like he is the model. If you're a defensive coach, you're not an offensive coach where you keep finding people, your, your scheme flexible, your player flexible to make it all work. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, and lastly, before we get to the quick hits, uh, how stable is this metric year to year? Is this something with a lot of variability or do you find that like in two year chunks, once you kind of figure out what the top is, they, they kind of maybe shift a little bit, maybe with some of the fourth down calls that you were talking about, but by and large, it's, it's pretty static. It's about, it's not one of the more stable ones for sure. Like you're talking about, like when, when we think about betting stuff, like George and I, like it's very much a the market is squeezed out 99% of the value. I'm trying to find that 1%. And this is one of those one percenters, right? Where it, it's it's not all that stable year to year. Shanahan, I think, was one of the first top ones last year. Numerically, he didn't make it this year. Um, and he might make it next year, right? Like if, if he takes Trey Lance to 11 and 6 or whatever, and you guys win the West, like chances are he'll be up there. Um, you know, some of the same guys like Reed and everybody are up there all the time. But like, once you get to like guy six or seven, it, they shuffle around. The bad guys stay bad though, uh, if they don't get fired. Yeah, that that always seems to be the case. <laughs> that that's, that stays bad. That we can figure out. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk to let's talk about some quick hits because I wanted to get some questions and and really I wanted to tee you up to talk about your what feels like encyclopedic uh, knowledge of the history of football and specifically 49ers football and foot 49ers history because you may be a Chiefs fan. But your 49ers love does run pretty deep. We've had lots of conversations about old school 49ers. And so I want to hear right now on the record who your favorite older era 49er is. Maybe we'll say like 
God, at this point, older era, maybe like 2000 or earlier. Jesus. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and why, and why is it a fullback? <laughs> well, the Niners have not spent a first round draft pick. The Niners have spent a first round draft pick on a fullback more recently than they have a running back. Right. So you have William Floyd in 94. Last time you, by the way, the last time you guys won a Super Bowl. So like that correlation remains. Dexter Carter in 1990, I think was the last running back that you guys took in the first round. Is that right? Uh, I, I would trust you with that information before I would trust me. I knew that bar none was drafted in 94. I also knew that that correlated with winning a Super Bowl. Uh, but I do not remember the last time the Niners drafted a, a running back that high. Because, I mean, Frank Gore, Trey Sermon, both third rounders. Um, Kevin Barlow, I feel like, was a third rounder. I don't yep. think we've drafted anyone in the second round and certainly not the first round as of late, but I think, you know, uh, the, the fans will tweet at us and they will correct us if we've missed someone. Garrison Hurst was a first round pick of Arizona. Of Arizona, but, and yeah. And a very good running back for the Niners, but not drafted by the Niners. And I think Charlie Garner was a second round pick of the Raiders, but then made his way to... Well, uh, and the, the Charlie Garner one's interesting because all these teams fall into this category because I'll tell you a different, a couple different stories. In the Super Bowl year of 1994, the Eagles went to Candlestick and won like 40 to 8. And it was like embarrassing. And I think Seifert benched Young in the middle of a drive and it caused a big hoopla. Charlie Garner rushed for like 200 yards that day. And of course, then later on, Charlie Garner's on the Niners. Uh, the Vikings at a game in the Metrodome in 92, Ricky Waters was injured and Amp Lee rushed for like 150 yards. And Amp Lee two years later is a Viking. Like the funniness of like these one guys having these one-off games and then ending up being on the team a few years later is really funny. I, for the Niners, I got to say this, like I, I, you know, I was very much like a, I loved every team when I was a kid. I remember I had a JJ Stokes jersey of the year that you guys moved up to 10 to take him. Um, obviously, Jerry Rice was amazing. I think, you know, one of the, one of the best players of all time, if not the best. I think my favorite 49er, though, I, it, it sucks to say this, but Steve Young was easily my favorite player. And I know he's not the best quarterback in the history of the, the franchise in many's opinion, but like left-handed, like best quarter left-handed quarterback in NFL history by a country mile. Um, just an absolute, just a winner led the league in some passing category every season of his career, um, ran the ball was like super athletic, low key and Sapa and like, and, and, and paid his dues, which like no quarterback ever does anymore. That's my favorite. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer, so that kind of is a cop-out. Um, after that, like Lee Woodall. I think I like Lee Woodall a lot. I felt like he was like an old-school linebacker in, in the mold of like, you know, what we think of old-school linebackers to be. Yeah, he uh, oftentimes uh, would get confused with Evander Holyfield. That's the one notable thing I remember yes, about Lee Woodall. Right. He looks a lot like Evander Holyfield. Yes. Um, so I actually still to this day, you talk about players having a monster game against the team and then ending up on that team. When the Niners end up signing a, a free agent like Samson Ebukam, and I'm like, huh, a little bit? I go back and see if they've played the Niners recently and how well they did. And there's usually like some of their best games of their career are mm -hmm. on <laughs> against the Niners. And it's just because of the scouting, right? Like they have to get on your radar somehow. Um, and so they get on the radar and then eventually the Niners draft them as a, or sign them as a free agent or something like that, which is hilarious. Um, all right. Your, your favorite Niners related bet for this season. Uh, man, that's a good one. Um, Trey Sermon to win the rookie of the year. Yeah, that's I think a good it's. One. I would even do it at twenty-five to one. I do think that offense is going to be potent, and I think uh, Shanahan. I think that's a lot of capital to invest in a running back if you're not going to use him. Yeah, I mean, I think especially with the injury. I mean, I I love the pick. I love the fit. Um, I've already recommended in in my own way because I don't do uh, much if any betting. My my only betting is fantasy sports, uh, and so I've already said, you know what? If you've got a dynasty team, snatch them up. That that's my gambling endorsement. Yours is much hardier. <laughs> um, all right. Eric, someone on your football team in college with a health-based pyramid scheme at their back set up a <laughs> meeting with the athletic department to quote-unquote prove that the water they sold could make you jump higher. If you were making that pitch, what would your argument be? I don't know. I I don't think I can make that like... I just remember saying like I and I th this is back like I'm in college so I don't have nearly the the life intuition that I have now but I just remember this I just remember being like really you think this is that you think that uh, that water 
is going to change your jumping ability upon ingestion. Russell Wilson um, has a talk that he would like to have with you about the power of nano bubbles. It, it is it is something that's out there. Trust me. So your your pitch your pitch is just like I can't even I can't even figure it out. I yeah, my it. pitch. So the funniest thing is like not not that long after I made that tweet, my other roommate who was like my best friend on the team, he was the quarterback, backup quarterback, but he was competing for a job. And on like June twentieth of two thousand, no June, it was you know ten or fifteen years ago today. June like sixteenth of two thousand sixteen, I like used Facebook to tell him I was open. So like I just went to his Facebook wall and like wrote I'm open. Um, I was lobbying for the ball. On it was Facebook such a simpler time. Facebook was like two years old. So and he he posted that on my wall, and I was like narrator he wasn't open yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah i dude i downloaded my facebook data a while ago and deleted my account and looking at some of the early things it's like whew, man this facebook was a different time way back then um all right if you had to make a bet on jimmy garoppolo and whether or not he's going to finish the season as a starter do you make the bet that he does finish the season as a starter or uh, do you take the field i i would take the field mostly because of lance I know, I know you would take Justin Fields, but you think that Lance is going to end the season as a starter? Yeah, I think so. I think it's very much a Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick thing um, just a year earlier. Like, I think it's going to be the first sign of anything they'll go with Lance. The thing about Lance that I don't think people are properly pricing in is the fact that at some point you have to play him or it's like two years since he's played. Yeah. And also, it's a lot of capital. And I mean, I think that the the best case scenario was that Jimmy Garoppolo plays well enough to get you as much draft capital as you can just ahead of the trade deadline. Um, and and then trade deadline or thereabouts, you end up rolling with Lance. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very good outcome. Um, and I and I think there's always a team, right? Like when when the Eagles drafted Wentz and when they had Bradford, you know, there's always going to be a team that needs a QB at some point. And, and obviously like, or even when, you know, Carson Palmer was traded from the Bengals to the Raiders, like there's going to be some, you know, chances are like, there's going to be a team like the Colts where Andrew Luck retires or something. And Garoppolo is just the, just what the doctor ordered for a team like that. Oh yeah. I mean the, the scarcity and need will drive the price up and that's ultimately what you want. You want the, as much as you can get. Um, so I have a one-year-old, you've got kids. Uh, I, I've recently discovered that this is a question that I feel like is is interesting because uh, I had to Google it. So I'll ask you instead: How many poops a day are normal for a one year old? Uh, this is where I reveal how like wonderful my wife was, <laughs> and and how uh, <laughs> and and I'm not like a traditionalist in any way, shape, or form. But the 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 uh, natural selection of what ended up being like the roles in the house very much came out traditional. Um, God. Uh, okay. Let me think. Six. <laughs> that, is a, that is a lot. That's a lot of poops. <laughs> so one year old, never mind. One year, newborn. It's like four to six, right? Yeah. Newborns are basically either sleeping, shitting or eating. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the life the cycle. One year olds. Okay. One year olds. I mean, I'm forgetting how, like I was telling one of my friends, I'm like, he goes. He goes. It gets cheaper. I go. Yeah. Once you stop having to buy f- like formula or diap and and or diapers, like this thing gets real, real nice, real quick. Um, but it was so. Are you talking about like three, four? Yeah. No. I mean, it basically what what doctors will tell you uh, is that the the frequency is less relevant than the consistency. Uh, but it's basically like some like some some will do once a day. Some will do like two or three. It just you know it largely depends. Um, especially cause they're eating solids at this point. But yeah, my daughter at this point, now that she's fully on solids, like it just threw all of her poops through me for a loop. Uh, it's just, it's very interesting, but apparently parents and poop, they love to talk about it. Uh, all right. Last question. Which are you more proud of? 1,700 YouTube views on your video titled introduction to Boolean networks in biology or 23 citations of your art uh, of your paper titled Google or global asymptotic stability of plant seed bank models? Uh, I mean, 
I would say that the pa the paper like citations are harder to get than YouTube videos. Um, oh, absolutely. The fact that you have either is impressive to me. And I was I legit thought it was global asymptomatic stability of plant seed bank models. And I had to double take as I was reading it because, you know, the world that we're in, I'm already thinking about symptoms. Um, but yeah, so I did not know that you had the range that you do, not just sports ball, uh, but also it sounds like, uh, you know, statistics for specifically for biology when you were at the old UW. Yeah, it, well, and, and I, I was back there actually this past week. And one of my former colleagues was working on a model for uh, COVID-19. And I, I like helped him with a problem he was having. And I, 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 I posted the picture of the white, the blackboard to the Instagram uh, exclaiming that I still had it. But like, I, I would say it, the, the crazy thing will be in like two years, if I go back and read my own papers, will I even understand what I'm talking about? Um, because football has sort of turned you know, football is like a 24 seven, you know, job now. And I, and I probably, even if like I had to teach like a calculus class now, I, I don't know how proud of myself I'd be. You have likely forgotten more math than I've ever learned. So I think you'll probably be okay in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> oh goodness, Eric. Well, it's always good to have you on. It's good to catch up. Uh, thanks for coming on and chatting about coaches, uh, what makes them good, uh, and, and whether or not Shanahan is good. Um, he's good. I think he's good. Uh, and I think he'll be fine next year. And I think Trey Lance is going to be awesome. It's going to be lots of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Oscar. This is, this is uh, fun. And it's always fun to talk about the Niners, a team that the re one of the reasons I like them so much is they were so amazing when I was that age growing up uh, learning football. They were the standard. So uh, I got to say, I know more about the Niners and let's say I know about the Bengals. That does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can follow Eric at PFF Eric on Twitter. You can get his latest article on head coaching rankings as well as his offensive play caller rankings, defensive play caller rankings, all on Pro Football Focus. And you can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. Thanks again for tuning in this week. And as always, go Niners. <laughs>